Welcome back to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your host, Dr. Vincent Buscemi. In my opinion, the best podcast on health, wellness, self-improvement, diet, everything you need to live a better life. This is where you come. Listen to me. Listen to my guests. This is an amazing podcast. I had the honor of interviewing Dr. Lisa Wiedemann, optometrist, and she goes by the carnivore doctor. 14 years ago, she decided to go zero carb and eat a full carnivore diet, and she has never looked back. At the age of 58, she looks much, much younger than 58. But more important than aesthetics, Lisa talks about suffering from an eating disorder, binging and purging, or binging and what we call bulimia. And she describes her addiction to these refined carbohydrates and these processed foods. Since going carnivore, she's cured her eating disorder, lost all the weight she needed to lose, and feels a thousand, if not a million times better, and now she's helping people do the same thing. Lisa, if you're listening, thank you again for the podcast. Guys, this is an amazing episode. If you want a starter course or a crash course in how to start the carnivore diet and the addiction problems of sugar and carbs, this is the one to listen to. Thanks again. Talk to you guys soon. Addiction of food, I definitely have that too, and it may be some type of genetic. Because like when I eat a carbohydrate, my brain like lights up. I've never done cocaine, but I imagine it's similar to snorting cocaine when I eat carbohydrates. Yeah, that's why I say there's no such thing as eating half a cupcake or a few bites of cheesecake. I mean, that thing's gone, and I'm already looking at what other edge that I'm going to cut off and eat more of. Oh my gosh, know? we're then we're one and the same. So. I really want to respect your time. We'll get rolling now. The best way to start the podcast from my feedback is just to kind of like roll into it and I'll cut the intro later. So Dr. Lisa, I got to ask you, what's your origin story? How did you go from the standard American diet to carnivore zero carb? Yeah, well, mine's a, you know, everybody has their path because I say that nobody just comes to this willy nilly and says, hey, this sounds like a really cool, fun thing to do. <laughs> I like not eat pizza and ice cream and chocolate and cookies and pasta and bread and all these things that we've become so used to loving. Nobody just says, hey, this sounds cool. Let's just eat meat and seafood and eggs and go about our life. And how could that possibly be healthy? Because we're totally brainwashed to think that Fruits and vegetables and fiber are mandatory. And I'm here as living proof after almost, you know, over 14 years of eating this way with zero vegetables, zero fruit, zero fiber, that I feel like I'm in such great health. Um, I, I, I can't imagine eating any other way. And after doing all this research, I'm like, wow, this really is an optimal human diet. It's the way that our bodies were intended to be nourished. And so for me, it came from a very long, um, I'm going to say 30 years of suffering of carb and sugar addiction, eating disorders, binge eating. I couldn't get out from underneath myself. And I just was, became very, um, well, frustrated and almost despondent that I would get it together for like a month and then I'd be back in the ditch. I called the ditch. I'd be back in again and take a while to get back out of it. And then I'd stop and then I'm back in it again. And I'm like, why can't I stop doing this? I know this is not healthy. What am I doing? I'm an educated, intelligent 
person in the medical profession, why can't I stop this? And then I look around and I, you know, some of my patients, I've been an eye doctor for over 30 years. Um, some of my patients were local cardiologists and obese. And, other, you know, I look around and I see that, you know what, it's not just my problem. They're wearing their addiction because they don't have the eating disorder that I do that I can hide my, you know, I, I never got to, a, you know, a level of obesity. But, um, and it was only because of my eating disorder. I was bulimic. So, um, but I realized that it doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are when you're addicted to this stuff you're addicted. And until you understand that it's a true drug and a true addiction, you're, you're, you're in a very tough spot. So it becomes really secretive. Um, you end up hoarding food, eating food in your car, hiding wrappers. I mean, you name it. Um, it's been done. And I'm sure anybody listening who's kind of been there, done that or in it knows exactly what I'm talking about. But I, um, I was just so fortunate after all that time of trying so many different things. I realized that paleo, Atkins, those kind of things I did. Uh, I read this book, Schwartzbein Principle, basically gave up sugar and flour. And I was like, wow, that was really helpful. Uh, but then I realized I could binge on dried apricots and fruit and you name it. Uh, and then I'd be back in the ditch again with the sugar and the flour. So it wasn't like a, a just a be all end all. Okay, here we go. We're doing no sugar, no flour, and we're sticking with it. I still kept falling in the ditch. So I was very fortunate. I was just doing some internet surfing. This was in March of 2009 and came up across a, a website run by Charles Washington called Zeroing In on Health. This was before Facebook. This was before, this was all back when there was just some you know, internet groups and forums. And this was a group of people that got kicked off of a low carb, very popular, famous low carb website run by Jimmy Moore, Live in La Low Carb Vita. And they had a very big thread building in there of this group that decided to just do Atkins induction full time. Like Atkins induction phase is the first two weeks where you just eat basically carnivore. And then they have a carb ladder, I guess, that you start going up. And it's funny because so many people say, yeah, I did Atkins and I did great on it. I lost so much weight, but then I gained it all back. And I'm like, well, guess what? Whatever you do to lose the weight, you just keep doing, right? But that doesn't really happen because the word on the street is you have to eat fruits and vegetables to be healthy. So I digress because now I'm gonna say this small group that got kind of kicked off Fortunately, um, Charles made his own forum and it was a group of people that were writing about how pretty much miraculous their health changes were. And some were there because of cancer, some diabetes, some just obesity, some eating disorders, um, you name it, arthritis, uh, Crohn's, IBS, all sorts of different people who were saying, oh my gosh, I'm healing, this is great, I feel great. And um, yeah, I, I like I said, I was so fortunate to come across this. And I said, oh, wait a minute. You mean these women who are writing in their journals here actually totally resolve themselves of their food addiction with this? I go, I'm all in. Next day started. And I said, well, this is crazy. This can't be healthy. So let me keep researching as I do it. 
So I kept doing it. The longer I did it, the better I felt, the more I came out of the cravings and the addiction of it. And I said, wow, this is really powerful. And then we started sharing um, different things like books, the Fat of the Land, Not by Bread Alone, the Vil Vilmar Stephenson writings from the you know explorers and the Maasai, the Inuit. And we really looked into and said, hmm, there really is something to this. And that's that's where that's where it all started for me. And it's interesting because I was 44 at the time and I'm 58 now. Right. But when I was 44 back then and finally found this, I wanted to shout it from the rooftops because I wanted everybody to know how toxic sugars and grains and seed oils are. And and like, why are you eating this junk? And people are committing slow suicide. They don't realize it. And aside from the addiction of it, um, I think there's a whole level of people who are addicted to their what I call drug of choice, which is chips, ice cream, whether it's the savory, crunchy, salty addiction with the bread and the chips, or if you're more on the sugar and the ice cream and the cookies, I had double whammy. I was all over the place with both. I mean, I could binge on lasagna and, and binge on a gallon of ice cream all at the same sitting. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it really came down to me being my own N equals one experiment. Um, yes, I got blood work along the way because I was like, gosh, what am I doing? Because people are like, you're going to die of a heart attack. And then just the more I researched it, the more I did it. And now, now it's amazing because there's cardiologists eating this way. So now, you know, you got to say they're not going to take their heart health lightly. Um, so why would I be concerned about my lipid level and my, my triglycerides are great? So what if your total cholesterol and your LDL is a little up? It's it's just a, a a myth by the pharmaceutical industry who's trying to make lots of money that it has to be lowered. It's only, they're only lowering LDL because that's the one component of the blood lipid uh, panel that they actually figured out a drug to make a change in one of them, okay? Every cell in our body needs cholesterol. Every day our bodies are working hard to make cholesterol. And some of that cholesterol, which is so important for hormones, is converted by the sun into vitamin D. It's used in every cell. It's used in all our hormones. It's necessary and needed. Why are we fearing it? Why are we freaking out? The reason being is there is a false hypothesis that saturated fat causes heart disease by lovely Ansel Keys. And I mean, I could go on and on. I know you probably know a lot of this, but I keep getting, I get like diarrhea the mouth when <laughs> I get started. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much information for people to know who don't know yet. And I just want to really help spread the word. And you are helping. Let's go back a couple steps. What was the trigger when you were in your binge then purge phase? You said you were doing good for a month and then something happened and you're back in the ditch. What happened to put you back in that ditch? Oh, it can be anything and everything. I mean, like it could be walking into a grocery store and within three steps of that first automatic door, floor to ceiling, there's, you know, Chips Ahoy's and oh, the latest flavor of kettle chips that are extra dark roasted. Uh, then you take a couple more steps and you're in the bakery where they're wafting the aroma. And then it's that memory of, of, you know, 
of being in your frenzy of your addiction, okay? And then it becomes an uncontrollable urge or uncontrollable emotion. And, you know, we, we don't eat really just out of survival anymore because food is so plentiful and it's all around us and it's everywhere in our, in our existence as far as social situations, family fun, holiday gatherings, worker you know at work there's the break room and somebody just baked the most amazing crumb cake and it's still warm you got to try it it's constant there's a bowl of m m's and then somebody's got this food 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 triggers are always around us so that's what ends up happening is there's always some sort of trigger and it it it, it starts racing the heart again and you're like ah oh. and that that's really for me what it what ended up happening was there was always um, that point of, and, and you name it, it could be um, boredom, it could be stress, anxiety, anger, it could be sadness, filling an emotional void for whatever reason, it could even be happiness that you end up kind of going off the rails, you know, with you're with friends and that they're having margaritas and these amazing homemade nachos and somebody made this homemade guacamole and there's homemade salsa and next thing you know, there's brownies and, you know, fresh cookies and uh, you're back in it, back in it, because that's what you're doing. That's where you are. And until you really get to that point in your head where you say, I'm a drug addict, I have to look at those brownies or that pizza or those chips as a syringe of heroin. It's just as dangerous to me. No, I won't overdose and die tomorrow from M&Ms and brownies, but guess what? It's a slow suicide and you will, over a period of years and decades, get Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, stroke, heart attacks. All these diseases were rare back in 1900, okay? But in 1910, when we were um, all exposed to the lovely invention of Crisco and seed oils and slowly into our food system was margarine instead of butter and we were told to not eat saturated fats and told to not be um, so heavy on red meat, like, oh my gosh, right? Well, guess what? That's pretty much all I eat. About 90% of my diet is red fatty meat. And I feel amazing. And I feel like the problem with like, going back to your, your question here, because I go on these tangents, but what causes those slip ups is not having that mindset of that you, you have to draw the line. I can't go back and forth into it. Why? I'm gonna spend the rest of my life then going back and forth into it. If I keep allowing that little slip, I say, you know, we're always, I think this is a common saying, I've never, I've not suffered alcoholism or been through AA, but um, I know people say that, that, that this is said there, is you're always two feet away from the ditch. Whether you're two months into staying clean, from your processed foods and sugars, right? Or 12 years or 22 years, you're still two feet away from that ditch. It's still right there. And it has to come from a mindset where you say, I don't wanna do that anymore. I don't wanna feel like that. And when you do this long enough, and then you start resolving yourself, let's say you had an ache in your knee or hip every time you get out of bed in the morning, it takes you a little while to walk it off. Switching to this way of eating, let's say three months, six months into it, you're like, huh, I don't have that ache anymore. Wow, this is amazing. And and have enough positive 
um, what we call non-scale victories, have enough positive changes to our health that we're like, wow, there's something powerful about what we eat and how we feel. And I keep trying to emphasize to people, what you eat is everything. And you have to get to a root cause of whatever ailment, pain, disease, dystrophy that your body has is because of what you've been feeding it. And that has, you have to get to that root cause. We can't mask it with medication. It doesn't heal or cure anything. That's, that's why it's just so important to really understand that this truly is an addiction. And that slow suicide analogy is kind of so perfect to me because you don't realize it. Everybody's laughing and having fun and eating all this stuff. Like it's nothing like, yay. And then I look at it now as I'm still socially with my friends and family um, and drinking my seltzer. I look at it and I go, gosh, they just don't know. And I'm in a restaurant and I'm seeing people eating French fries and onion rings and fried calamari. And even people don't realize, even you order, you think you're ordering some healthy pan sear wild Alaskan salmon. The restaurants squirt all that seed oil in the pan first and serve it to you as if, and then those seed oils, it was like six years to get out of your body. It's such a long half-life. And our cells all have lipid fat that, these absorb into and become very destructive and inflammatory to us. So there's one thing I can impart is do not touch any oils, canola oil, soybean oil, palm oil, cottonseed oil, you name it. I say no oil belongs in your body whatsoever. And people say, well, what about olive oil? That's so healthy, this Mediterranean diet. And I go, yeah, well, if you really look into it, they've done some undercover testing and 80% of them are adulterated with those crap cheap oils to make them less expensive. And so what are you getting there? The bottle says 100% extra virgin olive oil and you think you're being so healthy, but I don't, you know, for me, I have no use for oil at all. So it's not a problem because I don't eat salad. I don't eat plants, so. What about MCT oil? Is that also rancid? Well, um, I don't think, I don't think there's, I, I've not come across a study where they've done it and I'm, I'm guessing that they're not tainting and adulterating MCT oil with canola oil. I, I would, but I, I guess that's a good point. That's a good question. I don't know, but you know, um, mainly it's derived from coconut. I would assume it's clean and pure as far as what's on the label, but um, you know, I know it's really popular in the keto world to try to get your ketones up and use this MCT oil and put it in your coffee. But I mean, I'm here to say, yeah, ketones are important because there's certain levels of ketosis that are therapeutic for seizure disorders and for late stage cancers. And I figured, heck, if it's good for late stage, can late stage cancer, it's gotta also be good for hopefully preventing cancer in somebody who doesn't yet have it. So there's a place for ketosis and ketones, but I don't feel like you have to push it and keep and then do these tricks to try to manipulate your ketones to be higher. I think just eating a healthy diet, um, you can get into ketosis just by um, doing different various intermittent fasting and fasting regimes. And um, also by doing a little bit higher fat percentage of what you're actually eating. 
as opposed to putting in MCT oil. It sounds like the better shape that you're in, the protein from all the meat won't kick you out of ketosis if you're eating the carnivore diet. I want to ask you another question though. Why was bulimia your choice of rectifying your binging? Well, because I was, um, I guess I was 16 years old, 14 years old, and had no clue what eating disorders were or anything. This is just me as a teen. Um, my parents were overweight. My brother's overweight. Um, I'm realizing I am a chunky kid. I'm wearing the husky size from Sears. And I didn't want to be fat, and I didn't want to get teased. And I was chubby, and I was starting to get teased because kids are cruel, right? And so that has an impact. And I, again, looking back at it now, my mom would make macaroni and cheese with fresh diced ham in it and the, the cheddar mixed in and then cheddar on the top and baked in the crust on the top. And I realized I wasn't eating just one bowl of it. I would go back because it was so good and I didn't realize it, but I'm having another. Same thing, she'd make lasagna. I'd have my nice square lasagna, then what? I want another piece. Why? I don't know. Just driven to so good, delicious, the ooey gooey cheese and the pasta and the sauce. And I don't know what it is or what it, you know, how some people can just say, oh, I'm full and walk away. But I was realizing that, you know, that was an issue for me. And I got into gymnastics and you can't tumble with a belly. You can't do some flips and turns on the bars um, being overweight. So I then started slipping into very restrictive eating and had even, let's say, I'm going to say I dabbled in anorexia just because I, I got overly thin at some point. I would eat half a bagel with a slice of cheese for breakfast, half a bagel with a slice of cheese for lunch. And I was like realizing like, oh, I can, I can lose weight this way, but then it turned into, um, then I would, then I'd be go, I'd go crazy and binge. And then I was like, oh, too full and uncomfortable. Let's get this up. And then realize like, oh, well, I can have my cake and eat it too, kind of this way. So it just evolved. I had no idea what it was until I read like an article in a girls 17 magazine. It was called back then they had, you know, magazines for girl and there was an article in there about it and i was like whoa wow <laughs> this is a thing and other people do it and uh yeah and then i spent from pretty much that point on trying to figure out how to stop because i knew i was going to eventually kill myself well what a great amount of self-awareness at what age did you say i have to stop this bulimia um you know it was it was pretty quick when i was uh you know you read an article about how it can ruin your electrolytes and your heart um, rhythms. I'm like, ah, oh, I could die from this. Uh, it's gonna ruin your teeth because you're bathing it in acid one, two, three times a day, depending on the severity of your bulimia and how many times a week and times a day you did it, right? Or how obsessive you got about not taking in the food with the thought that I wanna be lean and slim and trim and feel good. I just couldn't get out from, my un from underneath myself as far as, how, why can't I stop this? Why am I so driven all the time for, um, you know, just 
eating more. And uh, yeah, but the self-awareness came from just kind of understanding at that point. Then, you know, Karen Carpenter dies of anorexia. I'm like, well, these eating disorders are serious things, but at least I'm not like emaciated and skinny. I don't have that issue, which I totally didn't. I loved food too much to be anorexic. But um, but yeah, it, it really came down to just understanding this is not normal human behavior. And I couldn't understand that, you know, that there's addiction specialists on staff on all the food companies to intentionally make this stuff as addictive as possible, make the right combination of sugar, salt, and fat. You put those components together, it's so unhealthy and it's so um, addictive, really, that that's part of it. So, you know, unbeknownst to us, we're being poisoned and made into addicts. <laughs> That's so true. Have you read Gary Taub's The Case for Keto? Yeah, I have his book also, Good Calories, Bad Calories, and Why We Get Fat. I'm just looking over at my yeah. little uh, bookshelf there. But yeah, and I actually had the uh, pleasure of meeting him once. I was at uh, Low Carb San Diego, I think about six years ago, and uh, he was speaking there. So yeah, he's he's great. He talks about that in The Case for Keto that people like me and you, either genetics or environment, we cannot eat carbohydrates and be done. Like you said before the podcast, you'll take a bite of cake and you're already thinking, I want one more piece. So you go on the carnivore diet and you want to shout from the mountaintops, this will cure everyone. What's the response from your medical colleagues and your closest friends and family? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a big, big topic because, and, and that's so broad between friends and family co-workers start with friends and family then we'll move to yeah, co-workers okay. so friends and family um um initially just didn't even tell my husband the time i was married that i was doing this because i was like yeah this is a little crazy let me just let me just try it out right let me just kind of do this a little bit so the whole first two weeks you know it's amazing you can fly under the radar i mean i've tried so many weird things over the years the cabbage soup diet then I was, uh, like I said, I had done the no sugar, no grains thing. So I'd already done kind of the low carb, don't eat bread or pasta or rice. So it was really, I just would cook and I would put out grilled like chicken and sausage and steak. And then I'd make um, rice and a salad on the table also for them. And I just wouldn't eat it and nobody paid attention. So that was kind of easy at the beginning, but then as I did it more and more, and then I wanted to explain like how and why and what's happening and um, nope, nope, nope. Everything in moderation can eliminate entire food groups. That can't possibly be healthy. Well, all right, you do you, I'll do me. I'm not expecting anybody else to change over to this on my account. I'm just expressing my, you know, my experience. But so that wasn't so much of an issue in my immediate family other than, and I would say a big other than, um, my kids at the time were, I don't know, 10 and 12 and well entrenched in pasta and pizza and French toast and cereal and ice cream and granola bars and all the processed junk that I wouldn't possibly want my children to have had had I known better earlier. Uh, and food was all around me. I was still making, I tried to then make healthy pancakes with coconut flour or almond flour is like trying to figure this all out. But um, they kind of tolerated me and what I was doing is like, oh, yeah, you know, rolling their eyes at the restaurant when I just say, can I just have the meat on the plate? Like, what's the big deal? Right. 
And then I would end up just getting the, the, the dish at the restaurant and seeing if anybody else wanted my potatoes or broccoli or whatever. And uh, so, you know, you can deal with that that way. But, you know, when I'd go home for to my parents for holidays, uh, they started understanding when I started talking about like, yeah, I'm just just having the meat. And my mom was great. Like if it was Easter and they were making ham, she'd also make me a a, a rib roast because <laughs> she knew beef was my preference. Same thing with Thanksgiving. I mean, I'd eat turkey because the turkey's meat just wasn't as satisfying as having beef. So, but usually I would just have turkey then. And I'm, and all the other holidays, she just made sure that, and, and they were cool with it, but they didn't want to listen. They were now type two diabetic and I'm, my dad's having problems with macular degeneration and cancer. And my brother, who was a type one diabetic, he actually took to it when I start, I talked to him about it. I was about a year into it. And I was pretty confident at that point, knowing online these type two diabetics who totally reversed their diabetes and got off meds and the type one diabetics, they're of course in a different category, but they, there, there was, there was testimonies of them being so um, improved on that. So he jumped in and did it. He lost like 30 pounds in, I guess about, I don't know, six months. And he said, yeah, his insulin pump, he was using one fourth, one vial instead of four vials a day um, for his diabetes control and things were going good. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's, that's good. What happened? Well, brother starts going back down the slippery slope starts eating this starts eating that next thing you know all the weights back on and um there went that but my parents progressed and i i kept trying to encourage them nobody wanted to listen because of course who wants to do this crazy thing that you can't eat your bread and oh the the tomatoes and my apples and my oranges and my it's like yeah it's sugar it's not good for a diabetic you know, fruit has fructose, glucose, and sucrose in it. We don't want to put that in our body. And the fruit that we have now is so genetically modified and engineered to be sugar bombs that um, it's it's really detrimental. And nobody wanted to listen. And then it got really bad. Like my dad just passed last fall. And prior to that, he got to the point where his vision was really going downhill and he was getting really desperate for me as his daughter, the eye doctor, to get the answer. I said, Dad, it's the same thing I told you 12 years ago. Stop eating the mayonnaise, the salad dressing. You know, the, all these things are just packed with seed oils. You have to stop. That That's like key is stopping the processed food. I said, don't eat anything that comes in a bag, a box, a bottle, or a jar. Eat things with one ingredient, beef lamb, scallops, shrimp, egg, you know, it's, it's not that, I say it's not that difficult. It is difficult in our current situation in life where we're just surrounded by um, really a, a plethora of just amazingly toxic, delicious, addictive food, but coming to the understanding that that's actually what's causing the problem. I think they could not comprehend the truth of what now I've, of course, I'm 100% positive that this is the truth, that it is these toxic um, oils that are really causing. You can listen to 
uh, Dr. Chris Kenobi. He's an ophthalmologist who studied for like eight years and he put out an amazing book just recently, Ancestral um, Healing. And yeah, he's he, he did a lot of work and a lot of studies that show that it was with the advent and the increase with all of these omega-6 uh, seed oils in our diet that um, is really the, the cause of all these diseases that we're um, now you look around, there's so much obesity, there's so much heart disease, so much cancer, so much arthritis, you name it, and it's out there. And it wasn't like that. They show pictures of um, in the like 1950s, 1930s, like you get these really cool little uh, video snippets that somebody has with the old cars in New York City and everybody walking by is lean. There is not one I don't want to say not one obese person. There's not even one overweight person. You can't even find somebody with a muffin top in this group of people kind of scurrying in these videos, right? And also you can see some of the um, photos and footage from the beach. And the you know you look at the wacky bathing suits and stuff, but nobody's fat. Nobody's fat. Why? Because these seed oils didn't come into existence until about 1910. And then it just started building and building and going and going and there you go there goes the health of all of our society and it's a very insidious problem because like you said previously in this podcast it doesn't kill you right away and it sounds like the human brain is designed to treat acute stressors or like the tiger behind the bush in a long-term chronic problem unless you really believe it's going to hurt you it's hard for people to cross over and do it so you do this diet um, when you're treating patients. Because you mentioned in a podcast with Dr. K, they're bleeding from their eyeballs. And you know that like their insulin is through the roof, they're overweight, type 2 diabetic. How are you approaching this with your patients? Uh, very, very difficult. It's not the standard of care. And it's not considered standard of care for me as an eye physician to instruct or educate somebody on nutrition. So it becomes a very difficult conundrum for many of us. Like I know Dr. Baker ended up leaving his career as an orthopedic surgeon because of this. He started recommending when people came in for knee surgery, knee replacement, he said, you know, I started this, sounds crazy, but this carnivore diet has done incredible things for my aches and pains and joints. Why don't you try this first? They'd come back six months later, hug him and cancel the surgery. And guess what? You get enough people doing that, the hospital system writes you up. Something's not right here. Your surgical case, you know, a quantity is going down. And um, yeah, and then for me, it takes so much time to do what I want and like to do, which is really speak to the patient about root cause. Why do you have severe dry eye? Why do you have bleeding behind your eye? And try to start opening up the dialogue of how you eat, what you eat. But it be, it's, it's frustrating because nobody wants to, everybody really wants the simple, give me the eye drop, give me the pill. What do I gotta do to get rid of this doc, okay? And I will have a patient who's, let's say, a type 2 diabetic, not necessarily obese because not all diabetics are fat. Sometimes it's very interesting the way our bodies work and the way our bodies get damaged from the, the food we're eating. But um, so we have a diabetic in the chair, maybe 60 years old, 
Their doctor told them they would be diabetic for the rest of their lives, which is a total lie, uh, and that they'll be on medication the rest of their lives, which is a total lie. Um, but I have the added, let's say, aspect of this with them in my exam chair. I, I photo the inside, the retina inside of their eyes, and I go, look here, we have the starts of diabetic retinopathy. And I point out, they're called dot and blot hemorrhages, little spots of bleeding that I can see in the back of their eye. And I said, this is a very uh, big problem. This is one of the leading causes of blindness and you have the starts of it here. And um, we can halt this and reverse this. What do I gotta do, doc? I don't wanna go blind. Well, it really comes down to, you have to reverse your diabetes by what you eat. Your body no longer tolerates carbohydrate. So you're not gonna eat any carbohydrate. I said, you're gonna eliminate fruit, sugars, bread, pasta. Oh, stop right there, doc. I'm Italian, I can't do that. No, no, no. You would have thought I asked them to chop off their right arm in order to save their vision and reverse their diabetes, right? So therein lies the problem. And for me, the ones that there were some very um, attentive people who took to what I said, I ended up because of the practice I worked in as an employee of this practice, um, needing to bite my tongue. Um, I was not allowed to uh, really uh, do what I, needed and wanted to do to get people healthy because that's not the standard of care. We're supposed to prescribe drugs and get them on their way and see more patients, right? So um, I ended up making a huge impact on some people. They would come back the six months later for the recheck and tears in their eyes, hug me and say, you changed my life. I'm down 50 pounds and I'm feeling great. I'm almost off all my medication and I can't thank you enough. So there's there very rewarding points of it and very frustrating ones. And then ultimately I had to mutually terminate myself from my position there because I was really not allowed to practice the way I wanted to. So now I'm, so I, I retired, but then now I'm working again, but I work part-time in a, place where I can call the shots and do uh, my practice exactly like I want to, which is really spend time with people and get to the root cause of their eye problems. Are, do you own then your own private practice now? No, I'm, I, I'm actually, um, I, I work at a place where their optometrist um, unfortunately was having medical issues and had to take a year off for breast, breast cancer treatment. And I was asked to fill in and only I feel, you know, I was filling in twice a week and it was perfect for me. So I got, I get to still see patients cause I love what I do. And, you know, after 30 years of it, I've, you know, I've gotten to that level of um, really an enjoyment of, of that, especially now being able to do it on my terms. Uh, but I do, I spend most of my time now, now I actually, because the other doctor fortunately has returned, um, I, I probably maybe two, three days a month, I still see patients there because I have people who want still to see me and I go in on an extra day. And other than that, I spend my time 
coaching, one-on-one -on -one private and group coaching. And I do YouTube cooking videos for carnivore things. I do YouTube videos trying to explain different eye diseases and uh, the root cause. And I'm, I'm really actually just working more on my passion of trying to get more and more people to see the light of the, uh, of the reality of uh, what we're doing to our bodies by treating them like trash cans and, um, and helping people out of, I find, I do really emphasize the aspect of the addiction of it because even if you don't think you're addicted, I have a friend who was just like, yeah, oh, you know, like, I explained, I was like, yeah, that's why I don't eat it at all. I have to abstain. I'm not a moderator. And she's like, oh, I don't have a problem with, with you know, sugar. Um, so I guess, you know, that's why I can have my chocolate every day. I'm like, oh, you eat chocolate every single day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's different, you know, levels on a spectrum of what your addiction is. And um, I, I just think that for me, it's just become really important to try if I say if I could help one one person out of that hellhole that I was in uh, being so drawn and tied to and in and out and yo-yoing with this horrible addiction I've been told it's worse than alcohol drugs and cigarettes to try to give up this because why because people are pushing on you oh Aunt Sue made this chocolate mousse you have to try it no thank you oh you have to just a bite no, thanks, really. Oh, come on, you only live once. What are you telling me? You're never gonna have chocolate mousse the rest of your life? No, I choose to not have chocolate mousse for the rest of my life. I can have it, but I'm just choosing not to. It doesn't make me feel good. I tell people, just say that. Just when people say, oh, you've got to try this. Oh, thanks. It just, it, I've just realized it doesn't make me feel good. So now how can somebody come back and say, well, eat it anyway. I want you to not feel good, right? <laughs> <laughs> the best comeback lines is just say, I really, I don't, I realize I don't feel good anymore when I eat that. And you can say it genuinely because when you realize you have no um, GI issues, no reflux anymore, no achy joints anymore, you've got energy, you're feeling awesome. So then you do realize it was that food. So when you just literally say to somebody, yeah, I, just, I don't feel good when I eat that, it's, it's the truth that all of that food collectively makes you not feel good. And that, that's one of the best things I, I tell people. And the other thing is, it's really, it's, it's nobody's business. Why do you really care, you know, what somebody else thinks? And why should anybody care what you chew and swallow? Like, when you think about it, it just seems like so silly. If I was vegan, they'd be applauding me. Oh, that's so great. I could never do that. But wow, that's so healthy. That's so good for you. Like, they're, and they're not saying, oh, you've got to try this steak. It's so good come on, I, I just chart it. It's perfect temperature. You got to try like nobody's pushing that on somebody else. Right. So it just, it's very interesting. And I, the more I'm in the space, the, the, the more comical it actually becomes when you start saying, you know what, it just doesn't matter what anybody thinks as long as I'm feeling good and I'm confident that what I'm doing, I listen to four different cardiologists, how they eat this way, and why would I think for a second I'm going to die tomorrow of a heart attack after 14 years of eating fatty red meat and bacon and eggs? It's a myth that that food is not good for you. It's wrong. It's just misinformation. I'm going to sound very cynical when I say this. I think when people see you, you're mid-50s. You look like you're early 40s, late 30s. You look super healthy. 
And if they're the same age as you and they look 20 years older, they secretly want you to eat that cake so they don't feel bad about themselves. Yeah, it's it's almost a, um, a reflection. That's really true. What you just said is a big part of the problem when let's say you you have this group of friends and you always go out whatever and party it up at this restaurant and you all share in the blooming onion and the this and the that and all of a sudden you know better and you're not partaking and now it's a judgment call on their poor dietary choices their poor eating habits and it's becomes a reflection on them and you know all addicts want to be around addicts you know if, you know people who are alcoholics they don't hang around with people who drink water they just they don't right so it's very interesting but that's a good point is that um it, it becomes a reflection on others um even though i try to not come across at all as judgmental like with my parents it's almost for me it's just kind of like an inner sadness of how addicted they are and how unwilling to because my mom will say oh i just don't have your willpower and it's like you don't need willpower once you understand how toxic and damaging that food is and you just visualize just watch some presentations on youtube about it about how those seed oils get into the cell of, of your membranes and kind of literally explode them it's like that really becomes such powerful information that you really don't want to put that in your body anymore. But I get it. I mean, I, like I said, I suffer for 30 years addicted to this stuff and couldn't, couldn't stop and stop and then go back and back and forth. And it was horrible. So I pass no judgment because I know how difficult it has been for me. And, you know, it's the old, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him carnivore. Yeah. <laughs> And then and that's the other thing that I really like to emphasize with people like you, you have to let it go. And I had to learn to let it go, even though with these people that you truly love and care about, you want the best for them. And it's painful to watch them suffer. I mean, I watched my dad go blind and die from cancer. And I feel like I, I had the information 14 years ago to like be at the point where my parents should be climbing mountains with me, you know, like you should have you should have the ability to do whatever you want to do. And it's just so, I, it's, it's so frustrating. I'll get patients, I'll sit in the chair and they're like, oh, you know, I go, okay. I go over their medications and their diagnosis. And, you know, they're like, oh, don't get old. Everything started falling apart when I was 65 or everything started falling apart when I was 70, whatever their age that they're their body finally showed symptoms of them falling apart. It was falling apart all along. It was just, it gets to the point where it becomes symptomatic and problematic, where you then reach out to the doctor and say, you gotta give me something doc, what's going wrong? Well, don't get old, just, you know, it's part of aging. No, this is not a part of aging. Our bodies are driven to be healthy and heal and evolve. Our bodies are not just these living entities that go, huh, lived enough years let's just shut it down now let's just give you a heart attack let's just you know give you spinal stenosis let's screw your hips and your knees so you have to get them replaced no that that does not happen that's not the normal evolution of a human so yeah it's it's very very frustrating have you read peter atia's book long uh outlive no okay. i'm not he talks about that that it's such a myth that you can be just as strong in your 70s and 80s as you are in your 40s and 50s if you start taking care of yourself 
in your 30s. So I've been in practice for 10 years. I share the same frustrations with my patients. I see their dental health slowly declining, teeth falling out, cavities, gum disease. And like I have the answers for them, but nobody wants to hear from their dentist that eating steaks only will solve all of your oral health problems. It's very frustrating. Yeah, no. And then so what I, I now I'm remembering one thing that I was going to say that it's sad, but I, I really feel that you, that the people, person, whoever it is that we're wanting and trying to help, you have to reach the why that makes you cry. You have to get to that. There's something that is your why that's making you cry. Like for me, I just felt totally despondent and in a black hole of my addiction and that I was literally going to kill myself. And I had that really strong why that was making me cry that allowed me to turn to do this dramatic, what I call fly the freak flag way of eating um, and, and turn my life around. Again, why that makes you cry. For some people, it's disfiguring eczema and psoriasis and acne on their skin. You know what? It reverses that and you can have pure, clear skin. Guess how? It's all in what you eat, right? So, but that gives that person a why that makes them cry. The obesity, that's what Charles Washington had this great line, the lucky ones get fat. Because when a particular person's way, their body expressing the damage from the garbage food in obesity, that becomes their cosmetic, reason. They're like, I don't want to be fat. I don't want to have a seatbelt extender on the airplane. I want to be able to fit on the roller coaster ride with my kids. I want to be able to get on the floor and play with my grandkids. And I can't because I'm too fat, right? So that's there and then why that makes them cry. And then that can drive somebody first, usually to keto. And then typically they go from keto to carnivore. And in my experience, just coming from my addictive background and dealing with the wonderful people that come into my groups to listen to me talk like this on a weekly basis to support and encourage and educate. I really um, have these people who are like, yeah, you know what? I finally get it. This is really a serious addiction and th there's, there's really no way out except for abstaining. And I'm in a hundred percent agreement. So we're coming up in the hour mark and I really want to respect your time. I always ask two questions at the end, and I think you just answered the first question. It's always, what's one takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this interview? Wow, darn, only one? Okay. <laughs> you can do as many like, as you want, but most people no, do Yeah, you know what? Um, gosh, uh, yeah, I, you know, for, for me, I guess the, you know, the, the, the crux of health issues, if that their one big takeaway is eliminate everything out of your diet that's processed. Anything that a company made, put chemicals together, got it to taste delicious and addictive, packaged it up, put it on the shelf, which has a long shelf life, mind you, because of profits. And how do they get a long shelf life? By putting seed oils in there. Um, they package it up, and then you spend your hard-earned money on it and eat this poison, right? So don't eat anything that comes in a box, a bag, a bottle, or a jar. And that really is just my way of saying, just eliminate all of these quote-unquote vegetable oils. They're not vegetable. They were created out of, they were originally engine um, lubricant. 
that somebody figured out that they could put into the food system to uh, make the, the food last longer. But yeah, basically that's, that's the one thing is, is eliminating that. I mean, if somebody says, well, you're crazy, I love my vegetables. Well, I don't really love salad and vegetables unless it's got those delicious sauces on them, right? So <laughs> let's be real. Are we really just loving eating the leaf? Uh, spinach has got so many oxalates in it. It's really not good for you. Kale, not good for you. Almonds, not good for you. People don't realize all of the anti-nutrients that are in some of these foods. But in general, I say, you know what? All right, have at your fruits and vegetables. But if you just eat whole foods and totally eliminate everything else, eliminate bread because it's a processed food. Unless you're making like sourdough bread from scratch or something crazy like that, I don't know. I still can't tolerate it because again, I don't want one slice, I want half the loaf. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just eliminating, um, that's the most important thing. I, I like to say sugar, grains, and seed oils, processed food. Basically sugar, grains, and seed oils covers um, processed food. Um, eliminate that and you will be on your way to much better health. And we're both proof of that. We're both eating mainly meat and we're both very healthy. The last question is, my second goal is to put you in the best light possible and to promote you. Can you tell my audience, I know you're on Instagram, Carnivore Doctor, where to find you. Are you still taking on new clients in your coaching program? Um, yeah, I do limited one-on-one, -on -one, but I do have um, just some really, not to toot my horn, but some amazing groups of people who, um, I have people with so many success stories of, um, outpouring of, of really um, so much hope for their future now that they've figured this out. And that, um, yeah, so that's why I, I'm, I'm really very passionate to keep my groups going. Uh, and I, that, that's really that. And, um, you know, YouTube, I go live every Tuesday night Sometimes I do just Q&A where anybody who comes on, um, I just talk back and forth and answer questions. Uh, a lot of times I have topics or I'm actually doing cooking demonstrations. Um, so YouTube and Instagram, I'm not really on Facebook at all. I do have a carnivore doctor page there, I think. But basically Instagram and YouTube is where you can find me. And my website, uh, it's carnivore-doctor.com. You can get to all the information of what my current groups are. I have, right now I have a summer health and weight loss challenge for June, July, and August. That's just starting right now. And it's just, I have people in a private WhatsApp chat for seven days straight in between the, the weekly live Zoom meetings that I host with them. And I, I send out a very detailed email at the beginning. Everybody's expected to um, exclude alcohol for the 90 days. Everybody's expected to, um, I, I try to get everybody into my step bet game. That's an amazing free app. If you haven't heard of it, step bet, it's amazing. You get paid to walk and it really gets you off your butt to walk more. Um, so I go through a whole number of steps of what I expect for those who want a change in their health. And so many people are stagnating on um, trying to lose weight and still falling in the ditch and all that. And so that's where it's at. I just do these live weekly um, meetings with a whole group of people and we're active in the chat in between to keep support and accountability. And that that's that's the 
best way that so far I figured out to be able to help people. And, and I'm starting to write a book now. So <laughs> that's amazing. I feel inspired just talking to you. You're such a superstar. Um, everybody listening, please reach out to Dr. Lisa. You're doing amazing work. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the week. It was great to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.